hey, Uncle Mike, how you doing? Was that it? Was that the beginning? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Mr. Mark, how are you doing? Oh, man, I went to New York City, and boy, was it crazy. It almost sounds like like a vaudevillian act. You know what a vaudevillian act means when I use that, that cultural reference? Or is that like so old-fashioned that you don't even know what that is? No, it's not that old-fashioned. I'm familiar enough with it. But like, you understand like that's what the acts were like. Like It'll be like two guys on stage. It'll be like kind of doing this shtick. Right, like Abbott and Costello, like that's kind of like has a vaudevillian, like or, or, or like it comes from that sort of flavor, or at least how I picture it. Mm. Um, that's what it sounded like to me when they were just doing that. So, so I want to hear about this New York trip. We got a lot to catch up on. We got a lot to catch up on. We do because, because the shit's just getting crazier and crazier. <laughs> Should we go chronologically? Because I know uh, prior to my trip, you had a misfire trip. So so let's 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 unpack. Okay, let's go like this. We're gonna go. We're gonna go. I don't remember. So, um, I just came from. I just so I'm in no countryside, and people are coming and going all the time, and it's like a like a, a pretty interesting mix of people who are coming and going. It's almost like a hostel in a way. And I walked in, and there was this. You know what a sangha is. A sangha is that spelled with a T? No, S A N G A. I think is how it's pronounced. Hmm. Or spelled. No. So it's like a, it's like a Buddhist thing. It's basically like like you know you sit in a circle and you share. It's a community building sort of thing. Um, it's a circle. It's a talking circle. So I walk in the middle. Like I'm like I'm coming from the woods. I'm going to, like I just kind of was doing like some stuff, like some private stuff, like not private stuff like that in the woods, but like you know, pri- like I was in my own thoughts. And I was thinking about coming on to this show. I was like, all right, I got to go and talk to Mark. I had like, I was getting my head together and just like sorting out the past week or so. And I walk in and there was all of this stuff going on in no countryside. And, and it was weird for me because I supposed, you know, I, I'll, I'll give a little foreshadow. I was supposed to be somewhere else, but I wasn't there. And I was here and there was like events here this weekend. But I've kind of kept my distance and I walk right in. And the room I walk into is Sangha. So it's a circle, talking circle. And... It's like the guy who owns the place. It's this other guy who's been staying here for a couple of days. Both of them are like 80 years old. And then there's this family, this mother and this father. They're, they're three college age girls. And they're all from like Southern, Southern Ohio. And like, I walk right in and they're like, come on in. Why don't you join the song? And I'm like, like, I kind of did it. But then at the same time, like, I want to jump to this. I want to kind of go and, and like this strange mix of people. And um, so I sat in there for an hour. It was just, you know, I'm the only one who's laughing. I'm laughing inside, but it's just a, a real interesting thing when I'm talking about like, I don't know, like the, the, the past hundred days or so in my life and what brought me in here. So, so there was that. So that was the first thing that happened. Uh, so we're going in reverse chronological order. But the second thing then is, uh, how was last night on the on the Homie Romy show? After mm. I left. Mm. It was pretty brief. We just uh, you said goodbye, Peter and Chad qu- followed quickly, and then uh, Gabe had some more thoughts. Um, and yeah, then we wrapped up. Dan had to go, and then it was just me and Roman. And Roman was like, you could tell because Roman's on the West Coast, so it was only like seven o'clock for him. You could tell he was kind of disappointed that everyone was tired. He was like, "Oh, Mark's here now. Let's talk." And then I would just, like, you stay on. 
I stayed on long enough to tell them about my New York trip briefly, but I didn't want to like, you know, uh, take the spotlight away from the topic because I know it was a topical show. But I guess in a way, since it's syncretism, uh, maybe it's synced critically fit in somehow but i couldn't be aware because i wasn't present for the first three and a half hours so i had some thoughts i came an hour late into the call and um i didn't really know what i was stepping into but i, I was i was excited because i wanted to um uh, see and hear peter and um and then i kind of got the feeling of like how the show um like how you had structured like a panel show like that i'm not i didn't exactly have I, I didn't come with the best experiences in the past and being on panel shows and um, for a variety of reasons. So I'm like, okay, let me go see what this is like. And I had no idea what the topic was about, to be quite honest. Uh, and it kind of flowed. It flowed very, um, it felt organically, like from topic to topic. But what I was, what, what I was thinking, like in the, in the point of what I want to say from like my real takeaway from watching that, and I'm talking to you, uh, uh, as kind of like maybe a producer or someone who thinks about like structure of shows, you know, I think it's kind of fun also to, to talk about the show as what you, you know, if you call what we're doing the show uh, to the listeners is what I thought would be cool. If, if I were to ever do that, or if I were to go on something like that again, where there's like, like there were, there were hosts, but there were a bunch of other people is that there'd be a set topic or a set time limit for like how long you could talk on it. A topic like let's say like five minutes or however long and then you have this this big collection of cards which would just be like different topics and then you just throw that topic out because it was such an interesting mix of minds yesterday and everyone had an opinion on everything but uh slight from a slightly different perspective i thought that would be a really really cool way to structure a, a panel show like that i agree yeah and it's fun to I always have that same like critique anytime I go on a panel show of like what I think could have been done better. Uh, but it's fun to reimagine the concept in like, and this is like what we really initially first ever talked about before this show even started this kind of concept of like a game, a gamified show, a gamified podcast that has an element of a game to it. And what you just, just, just described is like an element of that. Right. Like it gives a structure. It gives, there's like a randomness. And I think, I think like the fun is the spontaneity. Like if you get like enough interesting people and there's, you know, it can't be all the same opinion. And then you just throw out these topics and like each person maybe gets to talk. Well, I don't know. It was, it was fun. It was, and that kind of happened naturally. But what I noticed is like when, when the topic naturally runs out of steam and then there's like this kind, there's like maybe a, uh, uh, a 10 second pause. Maybe that's a, 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 it's not that long. It feels like a long time. Um, but you can, you can literally sense and feel when the natural, when the natural, um, uh, when the natural life of a topic just like plays itself out. Yeah. I yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. I, I definitely, <laughs> I don't prefer that style, but I think when you have the right mix of people and Roman is really tapping into that with his show, I'll say, you know, especially. Well, yeah, yeah. That, it was, that's what it was, it was the people that were there that made it, that would make that work. Right. It's like 
you know, the nature of his show right now, and I think this is a really good idea that I don't think many other podcasts even do anything like this, is every month is a different topic. So he has a theme. Well, it's not just Roman. It's Roman and Dan. I shouldn't just put the spotlight on Roman. Yeah. Uh, but Roman and Dan each uh, choose a theme together, and then they... um you know, interview guests within that theme each month. And then at the end of the month, whichever guests are willing to come back and participate in that group show, do so. And they've done uh, a couple of them so far. So yeah, I'd be interested to listen to, I haven't listened to any of them yet, but I was a part of two of them so far. So yeah, I'd be li interested to listen to the arc of those shows and see how it's progressed and, and where they're going. But yeah, Roman and Dan um, are definitely innovators i am highlighting roman mostly because him and i are working on a, a show together uh so i i've just been talking to him a lot lately but uh yeah well, i think they're, i think they're great too like i've uh, i i've enjoyed immensely going on those shows well it's good not for me. yeah so yeah that was that was sort of i like how we're working in reverse order here so that was at the end of my night and um was there anything else that occurred that you no, wanted to let's go into let's go into New York City? So <laughs> I don't wanna maybe I should go in reverse chronological order. No, I can't. So no, no you, that's too much reversal. Right, right, right. So we'll start with when your day began or when your trip out there began. Yeah. So Alex Stein, um Primetime ninety nine. He's been very, very viral and <laughs> very well known lately. Uh he's been on Fox News. He Went out to oh, talk. So this guy is on that level. Yeah, he's yeah. Fox News. Like, what's what? What do you on my, Fox News for? Like, I'm Mike. Like, listen I to this. No he's not just on Fox News. Tucker Carlson, the guy of Fox News, the highest rated show. I on, know who Tucker Carlson is. Yeah, Tucker flew him out to his home. So <laughs> he went on his like personal show called Tucker Carlson Today that they record in one of Tucker's homes. So yeah, Alex is Alex is making big moves. He he's on the main stage. What what is he doing? So what is he saying, which is which is gravitating him to that level of of a platform? Are you familiar with Andy Kaufman? Yeah. So that's how I would describe Alex Stein. He is an Andy Kaufman of this generation. He's been on reality television shows. He's done all kinds of strange things. And, you know, for the most part, uh, that led him to podcasting and YouTubing, right? And he didn't really can you make... Can give me an example? Can you give me an example? Like, like, what is his quote-unquote character? Like, like, how is he on a reality show? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, he's on MTV Road Rules or something? Yeah, he was he was casted on a couple different reality TV shows. Um, the two that come to mind off the top of my head are... The Glass House, which was sort of like a Big Brother show. It was like a okay. pretty much like the same as Big Brother. Uh, but the idea was that there were no walls. It was all, you know. Okay. Um, and, then he, and then he was on this show called The Barter King. So he he's really good at playing up his personality and being this That's sort of. I want to know, what's his role? What is that personality? What he's sort of like, well, he's from Dallas, Texas. So he has like okay. that Dallas, Texas sort of car salesman, which he actually is and was a car salesman. Um, okay. and also he's football player. So he's very like, you know, um, 
Christian, flat earther, uh, but conspiracy, very smart. Uh, he probably wouldn't appreciate that I just said he's a flat earther because I don't think that's his main, that's not at all his main objective. It's something he's interested in, but it's not his okay. main main objective. It's just, it's just style of, uh, like, is it abrasive? Is it funny? Is it... Yeah, is, oh, yeah. Like, it's a little of, of, of everything you just said. He is, uh, he's very funny. His show, and I'm I'm beating around the bush, but I will answer your question. Okay, Don't worry, because yeah, I feel like I'm like I have I still have no idea like why this like what you're describing is like okay, but like why would that like what is he doing that is making sense, like like why, <laughs> well I'm why, giving why, you why, I'm giving you a story arc so okay so, all right all right because I'm I'm sitting at the edge of my seat so keep okay. going so let me let me take you off your 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 trajectory so the reality television kind of precursor to his time as a podcaster and a youtuber his show is very well known uh, he's done a bunch of podcast appearances but what made him really stand out okay because he was just doing the same thing we're doing right now uh, a year ago he was just podcasting he's doing it well he had a big following on youtube live uh you know doing live streams people donating very popular, very charismatic. He's also a Libra like me, so maybe that's where we connect. But uh, but yeah, so that's how I met him through his show, and we became friends. And uh, I became this guy. He's about five or six years older than me. He's in his early thirties, okay. and um, he had me help him out, you know, with his show and booking and all that stuff. So I've worked with him a bunch, and. What really got him viral was when he started doing um, sort of like anti-mask mandate, anti-vax, like viral videos. And he's really like creative. He kind of would do like, uh, like, it's hard to explain exactly, but he hooked up with this guy and started making content with this guy uh, who made a bunch of like you ever see these like youtube videos and so many people do them but they're like they pretend to be a character and they go into like a public store like they'll go into a walmart and they'll like act like this crazy character and get like reactions out of people you ever see those videos i think so so this is like a, a genre of youtube comedy where people like kind of like shocking people like yeah it's like, almost like right what you saw like uh like ashton kutcher do on that show um punked, punked. punked. yeah it's it's yeah, exactly like like, like that some degree. Is, okay that's it, your second like mtv reference to, <laughs> to like how it changed. oh it's like, very two or three generations later of how it's still in play oh yeah so, all right so very much so so so, the, so i can picture the punked art um uh, genre. So that led up that led up doing stuff with Cassidy. Somehow he got the idea to go to city council meetings. And from these city council meetings, you know, these things go on PBS. Oh, thousands of people watch them. It gets broadcasted on PBS's channel or, or not PBS, whatever, you know, the public station is in in your local area. Uh, right, C-SPAN. Right. That's what I'm thinking of. C-SPAN. So he starts going to these city council meetings and he has like a Bluetooth speaker that blasts like music really loud. And he plays like a rap beat and he does these like, and he's not by any means like a talented rapper. He's a rapper. He's a good rapper. He's better than if I tried, but he's not like, you know, he's not like getting signed by a, a, a record label or, or anything I like think, that. I, I think I've seen one of these videos. I yeah. like this. 
Like, I think, oh God, I mean, like a while ago, but I remember thinking, like, I couldn't tell if it was a goof or not. Like, well, obviously it's a goof, but I was trying to figure it out. Well, and there's an I, element. I, I, know, I know exactly who this guy is. Yeah, there's an element, and you you definitely have seen his videos. They've gone viral. That's how he got up to the Fox you News. Watch anything. I well, yeah, I know, and it's amazing like, that it pierced I'm, that. That's why I'm saying it's so funny because I don't watch anything, but I've seen that. I I know exactly who you're talking about. I've seen this before. So so it's that guy. Okay. And and I've been you know I've been um alongside in the background, so to speak. Like I rem that's why I'm kind of giving you more story than maybe oh, the, the, best. the best yeah part. so he starts doing these like rap songs in the city council and and it's an there's an element of like astroturfing where he's like playing up this character who's like diametrically opposed to what he actually believes and like the people who see that are people who are you know like what you know he really feels because they recognize oh this guy is is playing a character and making these, you know, politically active people kind of look foolish by playing up to what, you know, this character that they're creating of like hypersensitive and, and victimhood. And so he plays into that really well. And he did like, sort of like, uh, this rap song that was like, vaccinate my body, vaccinate me at the party, vaccination freak vaccination freak a leak and it's just like he's just like you know he's like exaggerating it to a point where it's just like cynically like humorous of like this is how far some people actually right, go right, and they actually right, right. you know are maybe even fooled enough to think like he isn't playing a character and this is actually who he is i mean obviously that can only last so long so he but, does but okay he does okay. this at, at you know plano city council in texas dally dallas houston like all these city councils he drives to other states and does city councils and then of course with the pandemic you know he can do the city councils over zoom and all these other different cities so he's done city council meetings in vancouver and he'll, they'll just go on a city council meeting and obviously the in-person ones are where you can do the rapping and things like that it's more like a stage but in the zoom meetings he would just do the same thing he'd kind of like throw a monkey wrench in all of this like uh political uh you know just agreement like there's no discourse it's all just like a consensus that they build um and yeah it's just it's it's funny what he did and then the other one that really blew up was his ukraine um he had a ukraine rap that he did which was like recruiting people to go and fight for ukraine and enlist if you care so much about ukraine well then you get you should go enlist in the ukrainian army yourself and he goes to the city council meeting and he's like dressed in like a a national reserves kind of vague like military camo and he's like playing a character again like not rapping this time but this time he's like i want you for the ukrainian national guard you know just making up some kind of random like you know and, and just like really pointing his finger at these like guys on the city council meeting and some of them are laughing but most of them are are just upset you know like what the heck is this guy so so this is the character that enamored the nation you know he's really created a uh you know a spotlight so when he goes with like tucker carlson is he like is he there because like uh tucker wants to talk about his 
Stein's viewpoint. Like, you know, well, how do you mm. understand Leo? Or is he there because, like, you have, you, you, you know, because the, the type of, of, of ostracizing which, which Stein is doing is in alignment with kind of like the, the, the angle which, which Tucker Carlson brings. Like, what, why right. is he on the show still? Like, they're still like, so when, how is he, how's he positioned on the show? When he became viral with the Ukraine video and then obviously the, you know, the vaccine one was behind that. So they saw like, okay, this guy's doing this well consistently. They had him on and they just sort of spoke about the, the, insanity of mainstream media and and how you know cancel okay, culture okay. so he took that, they, that. yeah they took like a tucker took like a um sort of a cooperative stance with him like yeah i see what you're doing and i appreciate it as someone should be right. calling this out in a humorous way and right right it's almost like kind of like uh inside baseball like they they I mm. get what you're doing, and let's talk well, and, about like why this works and how and, that sort of thing. And let's just point out too that I'd be curious to see how that would play out. Let's just point out too that Alex, the first time he got on Tucker Carlson, it was like a five minute interview. Maybe you know that made it to the air, and they probably talked to him for twenty, thirty minutes, and it was I think via Zoom, so you know very limited interaction. But Alex, he's very charming. And right off the bat, he's like, Tucker, you know, they call me uh, mini Tucker. We should have a, a DNA test because I think I'm actually your illegitimate son. You know, he's like really like, you know, getting to uh, the stage and, and taking full advantage of the opportunity. So uh, he was asked to come back on and then they had him in the New York City uh, office and interviewed him there. And then uh, he went on Tucker's more personal uh, like long format show uh, recently. So yeah, he's he's definitely warmed up to that uh, media entity, which I think he's, you know, a smart business person in that sense. Like, okay, here's a great opportunity. I'm going to make more money. But at the heart of it, he is a conspiracy theorist. I mean, he's what he's most passionate about is like, you know, um, government corruption and, and finding a solution to that and all the lies that were told and the media manipulation and the cultural Marxism. Like those are his main, I mean, those cultural Marxism is button. probably his main hot button, but, uh, but yeah. And that's why he's become so popular because that's what is easy to, and it's not easy, but it's, it's uh, what makes people laugh right now because so much of the body of uh, our country the population of our country feels like the mainstream media's voice is antagonizing them or is you know not in support of how who they are how they feel you know and and i think a lot of people are seeing alex's comedy and finding a lot of relief like oh thank goodness somebody's brave enough to go out and and say stuff like this because you know i don't want my kids to be told that they can switch genders in their school and I don't want my kids to go and get hooked on hormones with their teacher's permission and and I have no say in it because the the teacher taught them that they could be whatever gender they want and now they're on some kind of life-changing chemical. So, yeah, it, it that's who Alex is and and luckily for me when he comes to New York City, I'm only a train ride away, so ever uh the last two times he's been there, 
I've gone down with him and we filmed stuff together where he sort of walks around New York City and asks people questions. And since yesterday was Pride Day and, well, it's, oh I guess, God. Pride Month, you know, we went into the belly of the beast in Union <laughs> Square. Right after right after the, the, the whole Roe v. Wade. Yeah, right, right, like, right. So, so it's like you, holy cracker! So you bring yourself there, and this guy—he's—he's he's an instigator, right? Exactly, and I'm the guy and filming it. Oh my god! And you're the one who's filming it. Like this is so, Mark. Like this tickles me. Like you can't imagine like, to, be, to be like, and 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 like, even exactly. to put a cherry on the top of the cake uh, or the Sunday. I was reading Michael Hoffman's Twilight language on the train on my way there. Like like this. Is, so this is literally like James Shelby Downard world. Like, you know, but, but go on. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that colored my whole experience, you know, and, and, um, as I was walking from Grand Central Station to where I met Alex near Union Square, um, it was, yeah, it was very palpable that energy because you know whenever there's some big parade in a city like that the whole city is comes in the whole all the trains going in are packed right oh yeah well my train in was you know mid-afternoon so i kind of got the lunch train and and i was fine i didn't have to sit next to anybody but yeah the, the train ride home that's that's so, we'll get to so that later on tell me what this day was like i gotta hear this guy so you take the train in then what and then as I exit Grand Central Station. How much I, stuff do you have with you? Do you have just like a backpack? Yeah, I yeah, always. you're filming. Yeah, I try to carry light, but Alex had the gear. Uh, he has better gear than I do. I brought what I have, but we didn't end up using that. Uh, it was just you and him. No, he invited. It was great that he invited this other character who he met through the comedy world. This guy does viral content like he does. He's this big big burly guy uh not not particularly tall but taller than the average person and uh you know that coming from me as a six eight person i guess right. <laughs> it comes with a certain bias but so this guy and i'll get to him later on but he was funny in his own energy so we we met up at union square but as i was walking to the to the train state or from the train station to union square fresh off of reading the first like 80 pages of Michael Hoffman's Twilight language book, I'm thinking about, you know, this sideshow carnival uh, that Michael Hoffman talks about, you know, this like this psychodrama and, and Mike, when you exit Grand Central Station, there's a spot called Pershing Square or Pershing Park, right? And it's not, a, it's not a park with grass. It's just a place with benches. But they do art displays that are temporary and revolve, right? And I took pictures, so I don't even have to swear my uh, oath of truth, but uh, they had giant a giant hippopotamus dressed in a carnival outfit and then rhinoceroses dressed in carnival outfits. These are big statues on display right. in Pershing Park and they're temporary. So, you know, perfect timing. Uh, as I'm reading, Michael Hoffman described this carnival sideshow that we're living in. Uh, and, and this is what I see when I exit Grand Central Station, which if you've never been to Grand Central Station, it's amazing. I mean, I'll send you a picture of my favorite part of the building. 
it's Hermes and uh, all of these gods behind him. Um, just like right there. I mean, it's really impressive. And then the the ceiling inside of the Grand Central Station is a, is a constellation, uh, several different constellations. I think we talked about that once. I don't know. I've talked about it with somebody on a podcast. But yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, an interesting energy. And given that there's a tour, uh, parade going on, all of this traffic was, you know, in certain spots. So I was able to navigate the city in a way that kind of reminded me of when I went there at the beginning of the pandemic, because, you know, the whole city was empty. So it had that right. kind of energy, too, where, you know, there are all these people concentrated around where the parade was. And, you know, there are women with their shirts off and, you know, some nipples exposed, some with the, like the little uh, tape or, or uh, stickers and things like that. And then, you know, uh, men, you know, of all types wearing barely any clothes. And it was a really a crazy sight. And of course, you know, now that weed is legal, everybody's smoking marijuana, like all out in the open. And that I appreciated for sure. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not homophobic. I'm certainly not bigoted. So I'm not offended by anything like that. But I definitely thought like, it's such a spectacle, you know, and in New York City, there's so many people, there's bound to be children, you know, and of course, there's the parents that just bring their children to that kind of thing, which, yeah, sure, that's your choice as a parent. But yeah, it, that kind of saddened me. And maybe again, I was colored by twi Twilight language and Michael Hoffman's perspective, but it was kind of like, weird to see that. And then in Michael's book, one of the things that really stood out to me was how he said that depravity and uh, adverse sexuality and like uh, perverse sexuality was a sign in ancient Eastern cultures that a culture was a, at its, you know, last breath, like about to collapse. And, and then I walk into, you know, Union Square and, and there's people dancing naked in the fountain and yeah, it's it's it was, you know, in one sense, really beautiful to see people feeling free and, and expressing themselves in the way that that made them feel best. But in the other sense, it's like, well, how much of this is a manipulated social engineering? I think our conservative audience would say it's all socially engineered. But I think I'm a little more sympathetic to both sides of the aisle just because I grew up in a state that's very split, you know, conservative grandparents and uh democratic establishment you know it's kind of like the old guard taught me one way and the public school system taught me another way and then cannabis and conspiracy culture taught me a whole nother thing and all of those three worlds collided uh the day two days after saint john the baptist day of all days uh <laughs> so after the uh, yeah so are you familiar with the movie um I think it's called Paradise Alley. No. It's a rather recent film. I want to say it's the Guillermo del Toro film, but it deals with, um, uh, it deals with carnival life, like carny life. And maybe like the, I'm going to, I'm going to imagine like the 1920s and 1930s. And it stars Bradley Cooper. Like it's like a like a top tier sort of film. It may even have been like Academy Award nominated. Like it was that level. But 
<clears throat> that film, I saw that film, um, I saw that film right around, like right at the time when I was doing the Masonic thing, like when, when that part of my life was like really starting to bubble up. Like, you know, now I've got a little bit of hindsight, a little bit of space from then. So I can look at that and be like, you know, if I would have known then what was coming, you know, the, <laughs> what would I be thinking? But the point I'm trying to make was watching that movie had a very big, um, uh, uh, psychological, um, and just kind of like general consciousness awareness sort of thing for me as it was bringing in this whole idea of the, um, carnival and particularly like the, the underside of the carnival life and, and then tying that in. So that was like a big deal, like right when I was starting to step in everything. And then when we had that conversation, which in my opinion, and I've never listened to it, but my memory of it is like our conversation regarding um, like the, the James Shelby Downard and James Shelby Downard vortex, like everything about that, like there, there's something to that. And so like when you, you tell me about that, about the reading the book and, and the like co- going into the city and feeling like, you know, the, the, the change um, of energy, how you feel it inside your body, reading that book and then entering into the city, being able to navigate and then being like, the number two guy, like, you know, the guy who's filming it to this, this, this character, like whose, whose job it is to go and instigate, like, you know, that is just, at, that is it. Like that is the, the one, it's a mirror. It feels very mirrored to my, to like my experience, like not specifically in detail, but just like in terms of that strange, weird under, uh, um, way that the, that book, the, 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 that Hoffman book really plays out in life, but I can, I can picture it so clearly in my mind's eye, seeing it almost as a movie. You, you kind of reading on the, on the train, like spread out with no one around you and just like going into the thing. This this is wild. Mm. Well, and I'll tell you what the, um, and I only just made this connection just now, but I sent you three pictures. Uh, the first one was the grand central, uh, I don't even know what to call it. The statues on top of the Grand Central Terminal that are really interesting. Uh, And then the hippopotamus that is wearing a carnival outfit. And then the third picture I sent you is a U.S. uh, senator who is memorialized in Madison Park or something like that. I I know Madison is in the name. I don't know if it's Square Park or something like that, but... This guy is from the same place as Michael Hoffman, and I just realized that now after I Googled his name while you were uh, saying that. And yeah, he's from Cayuga County, where Michael Hoffman talks about the psychic highway being and and all that stuff. So this was a statue that I gravitated towards after the whole uh, day had kind of finished. But yeah, it was chaos. We met up with Alex in... in uh, I met up with Alex in Union Square, and then we met up with his friend Billboard. Uh, I don't know what his That's real name is. dude? Yeah, I don't know if he had a, a proper name, but I was introduced to him as Billboard, and I don't remember if he told me his real name. 
Uh, or maybe his name's Bill and his last name's Board. I don't know. I can't tell. So, but Billboard uh, certainly has the appearance of a billboard. Like he's a big kind of guy, you know. And he put on this really like bright blue wig, and he's just like he tied his t-shirt up in a knot like over his the top of his chest, you know. And Alex has this like wireless microphone that hooks up to the camera that I'm holding. And I'm filming this guy, Billboard, as he goes up to, uh, you know, groups of people. We specifically went for people who were either topless or dressed certainly, you know, colorful. Uh, people that would look interesting on camera uh, and maybe had a colorful personality. And he would go up to him and be like, hey, girlfriend, what's going on? You know, and give him like the overly like uh, um, flamboyant voice and... Uh, and yeah, a lot of people just fell for it because he's that's not his real personality at all. Uh, but a lot of people fell for it and were kind of like going with it. And and we would ask pretty much one of three questions. But the major question we would ask was like, my body, my choice. And people would be like, oh, yeah, of course. And then they would be like, well, what about vaccine mandates? And, you know, people would either be like, oh, well, you know, that's different. Or other people would be like, actually, yeah, that my body, my choice for vaccines, too, which was great. I loved seeing that. There was more people that said that surprisingly then. But we also, you know, we didn't ask. If we we didn't edit it out. <laughs> no, I don't think so at all. I think that's, yeah, that's more truthful if anything it shows that like you know hey we're all in more well, agreement than you think like so what's interesting like you know this, this is a um it's a it's a real interesting place place to be because um uh the the system which is being made fun of is also rewarding right like by being viral and like all the benefits of becoming a national, be on a national platform and stuff like that. Right. Well, what do you I mean, mean? Like, but so, like just in general, like to have to go through like that experience, like, you know, if you're like going in just like a regular, like kind of reality TV guy. And then like, now you're going to Tucker Carlson's personal home to like have like a real interview. Like you're now, now you're, now you're being rewarded by the system, which you, right. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, I don't want to get into I mean, Alex's... I'm not getting into any of that. No, I'm no, I don't mean... Out, like the, uh, so let me finish my point. Yeah. So I'm pointing out the, uh, like, you know, so what has... And the reason I ask that question is, like, do you edit that out? Is because there comes a point where you realize that there's a certain, le there's a certain quality, there's a certain, there's a certain product, which is being, um, which is being rewarded. And then how are you able to... Um, how do you go when you meet that? And so I like I'm not saying that like in, by any means of like uh, uh, accurate, accusing or judgmental, but recognizing like you know a person's going to be put into that into that um, into that uh, scenario where they're going to be asking that question. So I find that very curious myself. And then the whole idea of him being like Andy Kaufman, like obviously like we know that Andy Kaufman approaches like always thumbing his nose at the system of the audience so i'm 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 interested to to, to know more about this story mm. yeah and and i'm glad you said that and i'm glad you asked and i didn't mean to say that oh we shouldn't talk about whether alex should do that or not i know you didn't mean that either but personally 
I just never ask more than what someone's willing to tell me. So I don't know the details of like how far Alex uh, may go with Fox News. And uh, as far as I know, that producers are very interested in maybe getting him, uh, you know, a show on a certain network that's associated with Fox. So, yeah. Holy crackers. Like, he might get a show. Like, I mean, that dude is... Well, and he's got... like. It, you know, Andy Kaufman maybe was uh, different in a lot of sense, so I shouldn't have used that reference alone. He also kind of reminds me of uh, like a Stephen Colbert, but I, you know, I wouldn't like to use that reference uh, contemporarily. You know, Stephen Colbert when he started, like initially, what he was about. What? What? Well, that's probably a really interesting way. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like you talk about the art, so. Like, I like to, I'm always fascinated by the level of, like, you know, how, like, the, the made TV personality. And some of them, particularly when you see from insider families or anyone who was, like, a child who went through, like, the system, the Disney system, you can kind of sense or imagine what that trajectory was. And then you have, like, other other uh, people who, who come onto the spotlight. So this is kind of, this is fascinating for me to hear this, like, what we're, what we're listening to unfold in in real time and um yeah so it's it's a treat for me it's a treat for me like you know to, to go in and hear and hear how it's mm. how it's happening well and yeah and alex you know he's got a a really interesting you know background and and uh you know like i said he's done all these weird uh tv appearances here and there he was on like some kind of dating show and he was like this bachelor type on a dating show so he's done a lot of interesting stuff and uh, yeah i think he takes a lot of inspiration from that andy kaufman character of like always being a character in whatever role comes to you but then also like politically I would make the comparison to Stephen Colbert because he's very much like what Stephen Colbert initially was on Comedy Central, where he just like, you know, pretended to be a conservative. And really, uh, that was entertaining to me at that age, because when that was on, I was in high school and and I really was upset about, you know, the Iraq war. And I felt like there was, you know, an inside job with 9-11. So, you know, that John Stewart Colbert report thing, like. That's a, for me. It's really cool that I'm helping Alex with everything he does because I've always really appreciated that like type of political humor from like an early age. So that's exactly that's exactly my point. So there was once upon a time where, where culturally speaking, like uh, Colbert was like kind of edgy, right? Absolutely, yeah. It was like Comedy Central like, closer, you know. Like the, he was like the he was the sharpest and smartest guy in the room. Like, you know, if he had you, like, he wasn't like, you know, Jay Leno, he was like the opposite of that. And then he's become Jay Leno. Like he's a, he's a, he's a joke of himself. Like he doesn't have an edge anymore. He's like, his talking right. points are the most unpredictable, are the most predictable things in the world. So, so there was a, a transition. There was a transition. Let's just do like he's a regular person and he like was a regular stand-up comedian and maybe he had like a political bent or somehow like, you know, he gets on the John Stewart show, which was John Stewart show, which uh, John Stewart came from MTV. So you got to realize that all of this type of mindset, which particularly people who are uh, like uh, a wide swath of the generation, they're, 
their general viewpoint uh, was formed by MTV programming in the 90s and the 1000s. Can I interject with a really crazy connection? Let me finish this, and then I want to hear that. Um, so, because I'm going to forget what I was going to say. So, so Colbert, uh, so Colbert, he comes in as this one thing, uh, maybe a stand-up comedian, gets a job as like this small, like you know, got like a a, a little bit of airtime, and really resonated, and eventually got his whole his own show, and then eventually became the joke which he was making fun of, and so. When I bring up like the, the, the Alex Stein, I'm not saying this, like, I'm not like, I'm not like pointing at your buddy and I'm not like saying anything like C or anything like that. I'm like, all right, you know, we, we've seen this play out or at least kind of play out in hindsight with someone like Colbert. So like now we've got a front row seat. Like I'm curious to see what happens. So I definitely want to be updated on like, particularly if anything, you know, becomes like national and like, how does that change? So that being said, now I'd like to hear what you got to say. Mm. Well, to make that MTV connection with Alex even stronger, and I don't think Alex is related to Senator, unlike Stephen Colbert. Uh, but yeah, Alex, uh, one of his main, main talking points when his Conspiracy Castle show was the main thing he did was the moon landing being fake. <laughs> and we have this moon man image with the MTV logo. So, yeah, I think he's definitely a product. I mean, he would, he, he would, uh, um, you know, what's even weirder is his episode of my podcast, the first time I ever had him on my podcast was the episode before I had you on for the first time. So that's kind of a strange connection. And then also, uh, yeah. He, I, used to, I used to say in like the real early days of like doing Susquehanna Alchemy stuff, I was like, there, there, there are two kind of, of, archetypes I have in mind when I would give these presentations. And it was a combination between uh, Andy Warhol and um, Willy Wonka. <laughs> so like when you took, when you called him Andy Hoffman, like you were definitely hitting in my wheelhouse. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think he, well, and I was going to say he would have told me when I asked him about his early days that the MTV was extremely impactful i mean i could say that without even remembering that yeah he's from that generation uh you asked me how old it's, he was so there's not a single generation there's not a single person particularly anyone who's a personality you know who has not been affected by well but he, but the 30 to 35 to 40 range that was kind of like the the birth of mtv right or, or maybe like when mean? it was in full swing well, it depends upon, so MTV went through a couple different iterations. So when MTV first, I think, came out in the early 80s, like I was probably 12, 13. I can remember going to my grandmother's house to watch MTV before we even had cable. And then it went through the period of my generation when it was primarily like music videos. And then it went through this, this switch, like in the 90s, to becoming more programming. And so... MTV like hit people at different ages. And then, I mean, it's the whole Viacom. They had it from cradle to grave for developmental, like, you know, beginning with Nickelodeon to MTV to VH1. Throughout like the 90s and 2000s, they owned consciousness of probably a 30 year, at least 30 year span of, of, of the population, like from 10 year old, from 10 year olds to 40 year olds. And so we all are, anyone who's got any sort of flavor in of, of popular culture, we were touched by it directly or indirectly because, I mean, the entire 
the entire reality television is an MTV byproduct. Mm, right. I mean, that's, that's the real world. That was the first, I remember when that was like the reality show, like that was like the first one. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you shared that perspective. I, I feel like I should say I stand corrected, but I think we're in, in agreement. I, I, I feel like I would say we're in agreement. Yeah, the, understanding the role of of MTV, like we're all affected. Like it's not like a right. like I'm just describing the truth. Mm. How can you not? How can you not play a part like he's playing without like being like a byproduct of of um, the 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 mother father seed that invented it? Right. Well, can I tell you some things that I observed outside of like the world of Alex Stein, just as like a uh, my yeah, own living right. being in New York City? Yeah. Yeah. What did you say? So yeah, that was the role I was playing as like a camera guy, um, <clears throat> but I was definitely like nice and stoned, nice and baked for this. I didn't uh, drink any alcohol, which you know, it's not like oh, I'm saying that because I always drink alcohol or anything like that. But last time I went to New York City. Uh, Alex was on a podcast with a bunch of comedians and they took us to a bar afterwards. So last time I feel like I was kind of like out of my element. Whereas this okay. time, even though it was pretty hot, I really, I enjoyed it. You know, I was expecting like, oh, it's going to be hot and trudging around the city, but it was nice. You know, like the, the city, for whatever reason, it felt very open. Obviously the parade helped that, but it felt very open. And uh, yeah, like the idea for me of just being able to smoke in public is just, I don't know. It's just cool. Like I grew up feeling like, you know, I'm a criminal for doing something like so natural and now you know the biggest city uh on the east coast i'm able to just like sit down anywhere and, and smoke so that i enjoyed and as i was wandering around i was drawn to uh a statue of lafayette which i thought was interesting um but also just the uh <clears throat> The energy of the day made me want to go inside, so I went to a bookstore. I went to the largest bookstore in the world, according to Barnes & Noble, and I found a book uh, about dolmens in Russia, just kind of a random book. I found a book about stone structures, so... Yeah, that's. Do you have a whole section of stone structures in the world's largest Barnes & Noble? <laughs> I wish. No, it was honestly... Thoroughly disappointing. The world's largest bookstore, according to Barnes and Noble, has a mediocre selection of uh, of books that I'm interested in. It's it was very similar to what I see at any other Barnes and Noble I've been to. I mean, it was a big section, but they label this category personal transformation, which is interesting. Um, and then at all these books under the large category of personal transformation are subdivided in kind of vaguer categories like ancient mysteries or witchcraft or new age or eastern studies so it's it's a little like a, and then aliens which ends up having a lot of stuff that isn't even about aliens in it um so yeah it's it's always funny to see the way barnes and noble treats this type of uh information but yeah, right. I, I tried to go to a used bookstore, but they're all so politically one way that they don't they don't have any conspiracy books. They don't do any occult books. It's very like here's our poetry, here's our art books. You know, it's 
you could tell that there's a certain culture there, which was disappointing because I talked to Brian Cote Noir and he told me about, you know, Wiser, the oldest occult bookstore, which I understand is no longer open in New York. But yeah, it just feels like uh, Manhattan is so commercial. It doesn't really have uh, as much of a, of a, an appeal as like the times I've been in like Brooklyn or the Bronx, you know, they have a different energy in their, in their own respect. But Brooklyn seems to be the place where all that occult energy is. I found the best books in bookstores there. So yeah, that was, that was what I did tangentially outside of helping Alex film the uh, chaos. What was your strangest interaction? Like when you're filming the chaos? Mm. Well, and there's one story you wanted to tell. Well, was that the one story you told us with uh, with with Billboard? <laughs> Billboard is strange. It's hard to tell these because there are so many. We filmed for about an hour and twenty minutes, so you gotcha. know, and it all in anything, in spurts. There wasn't anything particularly like standing out, like like there wasn't any major confrontation or a major sort of surprise. Well, some people recognized Alex Stein. <clears throat> but not people that we interviewed. Um, There's one person that turned us down. Uh, but yeah, there was like two groups of, of people that saw Alex and were like, oh, that's that influencer guy. Like, you know, like I that's a direct impersonation of the person I heard. And they were pointing at Alex and then the whole group of them like stared daggers at him as we walked uh, past the Whole Foods. And uh, yeah, it was that was interesting. And then... There was uh, a short Asian girl who was very, very intoxicated who interrupted one of our interviews by twerking on one of our interview subjects. So that was interesting. <laughs> um, it was a lot of that, you know, not anything that I could really uh, describe. Um, really, it has to be, behold, you know, see with your own eyes. And apparently, Alex says that the nudity is allowed on twitter so we'll be able to show some most of the videos that we filmed on twitter as opposed to youtube because that's i mean the shot most shocking thing and i, I don't want to offend anybody listening i respect trans people to a certain degree for their choices if they do so as an adult and don't want to influence children but anyways there was some really shocking i mean it's just shocking because i've never seen this before but it's like a woman whose uh, breasts have been surgically removed. And, you know, so now I guess respectfully I would call them uh, a man. And they're walking around without a shirt on. And it's just strange. You know, there's these big scars. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I didn't like to judge other people's bodies, you know. But that's just like that was the the most shocking thing, which was interesting. But they're very like it seemed like they were like very like uh insecure about it in a like an outward kind of way like they wanted everybody to see uh so i don't know but it was nice to see all the other topless women <laughs> it was uh, it sounds like um it sounds like it was quite an adventure yeah yeah it was it was an adventure i think michael hoffman would uh would be shocked uh <laughs> but his book was with me the whole time so i i carried some of that energy throughout my day and and then uh on the train it was packed i mean to the point where people were standing yeah people were standing in the aisles and i was next to these two gentlemen that were uh definitely pride goers and i don't know i mean they were 
they were kind enough to uh, not like totally squeeze me in, but I was glad I had my headphones and uh, my book and I just played some loud music and, and tried to focus on the book. So it was good. I found that listening to like a certain type of jazz is really conducive uh, in those situations for reading. Because if I hear other people talking, I can't focus on on what I'm reading. Uh, but I found some really nice jazz music that helped me, uh, I don't know, make it through Hoffman's book in faster speed than I would just sitting here at my desk. Ooh. So I don't All know. Right. But also what was interesting is as I was on the train, I came across a point in the book where Hoffman starts talking about the Green Witch of Greenwich, England, and I was passing through Greenwich or Greenwich, Connecticut. So that was a synchronistic event. And uh, and yeah, it was just, you know, I, I don't really, um, I don't know, I was kind of like a little nervous, you know, about filming all that stuff so it was cool to like as a uh you know martial artist at certain at a certain point i realized like why my hands were shaking because as a, as a camera person you don't want to have a shaky shaky hand right but i felt right. a little nervous at first uh and i i realized if i lean back a certain way and just kind of breathe uh, i was able to like steady the camera and I, I like leaned it up against my uh, chest in a way. So yeah, I, I think I did pretty good as a, a camera guy. I don't know. I've never really done anything like that before outside of the first time I went along with Alex and that was just on a normal nothing's happening New York City day and we just went to Times Square because that's where the most action normally is happening. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a very uh, once in a lifetime experience. I don't know if I'll ever go to another pride parade, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad Alex. That, that, is, that, is, <laughs> that is such a unique experience. Right. I mean, if, if, if going to pride, if going to pride parades are not your normal thing, then, you know, that in itself is going to be a unique experience. And then like of all the pride parades, like I would imagine like New York or, or San Francisco or like any of like, you know, well, and primary city. But then when you add in the fact that you literally were a cameraman of a nationally recognized agitator, I mean, that's what, that in my opinion is what makes it like, you know, that, that's a, that literally is like, well, there's once in a lifetime sort of thing. Well, and it was weirder. So for me as someone who's not in total agreement with Alex's position, like I'm sure I have more common ground with the people we are talking to in certain areas than I do with Alex, you know, just in like separate, if we're going to categorize what we believe in and stuff like that, you know, so, gotcha. so it was kind of like, you know, interesting to be on that end of it with the agitator and, oh, wow. you know, yeah, you're right. I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely, um, you know, <laughs> I was disagreeing with a lot of what the interview subjects were saying. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think I have more sympathy uh, outwardly than Alex, at least in my facial expression. So I noticed people were like really either like they know to look at the camera. They're also looking me in the eye, which was weird because I was very stoned and I'm like looking at these people like they're talking to me. But, you know, Billboard or Alex is like prompting them with questions and I'm just staring them in the eye like, yep, you're doing great. Keep going. Kind of like looking wow. down and making sure wow. 
And I kind of like, I was playing around with the Zoom too. So when people would say things that were kind of shocking, I would Zoom in on their face or, or like, you know, if they were, uh, there's like a topless woman walking by, Alex would be like, make sure you film that, you know? So we got a lot of like colorful B-roll too. It was, it was interesting. And also, you know, I'm six, eight. So if I stick my arm up in the air, holding the camera, I'm filming like a drone shot, you know, like I'm filming right. like a big wide camera view. So I think that's the other reason why Alex has me around. Cause I was able to, <clears throat> I was able to get some shots that the average person wouldn't. It definitely sounds like it's going to be. I, I, it, it, who, who then, who, who's going to take that footage and turn it into something? Do you do that? Or does someone, uh, does Alex or someone on his team do that? How does that work? Well, he just, he kept saying he was going to pay someone on Fiverr to do it. And I offered to do it. Um, but yeah, he's, he's going to be in New York for the next day or so. So I don't, I don't know, uh, what's going to happen yet, but I'm sure he'll call me when he gets back to his home base yeah, in Texas. So when, you, and, when you're done with that, I want to, I'll, I want to take a look at that. Oh yeah. Yeah, like, for sure. Now that, now that I've heard this story, like I'm now I got to go see it. Well, and it did feel like I was a documentarian, like to what your point earlier was. And because I felt a little bit of sympathy with people on certain, to a certain extent, it was like, you know, I didn't want to be exploitive, you know? So, um, that's kind of where I was like, all right, you know, am I, am I going to draw the line at some point here if it ever gets crossed? And it didn't. Cause I think Alex is kind of like, uh, in the same way, uh, <clears throat> as I am like an old school liberal, you know, Sam likes to talk about this a lot. Like we're not conservative. We're not definitely not Democrats, but we're more like, you know, live and let live and sort of like a libertarian without a gun, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe speaking for myself and not Sam or Alex, but yeah, that's kind of how I live my life. Like a libertarian, uh, that isn't crazy about guns. I, although I am very in for, you know, I, I believe in the second amendment as much as someone can believe in something like that. Uh, but I just, yeah, I'm, not personally afraid of navigating the world without a firearm. So, um, the uh, which which Hoffman book were you reading? The most recent one that came out, Twilight Language. It was funny. They were just talking about COVID in in it. It was very prescient. So I remember I, the only book I think I've ever read. So I don't know how many books he's written. Actually, no, I think I've read two books by him, um, but was the psychological warfare. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty positive, I'm pretty certain that there is a, a, at least a paragraph, maybe even more than that, but a, a good description of Times Square in that book. In, um, in Secret Society? Warfare. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I definitely uh you touched on that the passage, right? So, because he talks about the son of Sam and all that. So it's central right. to it. And so what I think is so interesting, and I think he talked about it in, because the secret society of psychological warfare, I want to say came out in 2000. So it's probably. No, 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 no. So check this out, Mike. It came out the same year as nine 11, but two months prior. And in his book, yeah. in his book, Twilight Language, the in, he has a section where a person interviews him and they transcribe it. And the transcriber asks or the interviewer asks him, you know, 
uh, you know, do you do you think you're a prophet to some degree because of the timing of your book in in nine eleven and and Michael Hoffman responds, if anybody heard me say, I, if anyone in my family heard me saying I was a prophet, they would laugh me uh, out of the room or something like that. So he definitely has a, a humility, but he realizes the, yeah, that you're, you're, if you're going where you, I think you were going, yes, he did. Well, I, would, I, I just wanted to point this out was like, uh, like the time, like what Times Square had already become somewhat commercialized. And in the book, so I was just saying when he wrote it in the in the late 1990s, early 2000s, and yes, it was published in in the summer of 2001. Or, um, but he talked about how different Times Square was during the Son of Sam Kemp murders, which was in the 70s. Like back then, like you wouldn't go, you wouldn't bring your family to to Times Square. It was like really friggin' skeevy, and like. Putting in context, though, and he talked about more so, if, I don't know if he used this word or not, but the Disneyfication of what Times Square became. But then what, what I found so interesting was then how you describe, like, now it's gone, like, from that to a carnival of decryption, depravity or whatever the word would be, like, to a degree which, like, 20 years earlier, you couldn't imagine that it would get to this. Right. So I think it's and and you're like you are literally you mark are the living symbol. Like you know how many people your age are podcasters who have Hoffman on as a guest? I think I'm probably the only one. I think you're definitely the only one. And then you do this. So I mean, just that level of um, that level of of James Shelby downward vortex, which is wild. And it does feel like in a higher order kind of way, like you're on the Susquehanna River, I'm on the Connecticut River, and, you know, I'm researching this stuff much because of your uh, research, you know, inspiring me. And and then Hudson, the Hudson River, we have, uh, you know, Michael Hoffman coming in with this kind of information, uh, uh, filling in this gap in between Connecticut and Pennsylvania. So, yeah, I think it's definitely it's a part of this uh, higher order of events. And also, I mean, geez, all of the information that he lays out in Twilight language. I mean, one of the passages that I thought was really important, um, I hope I could find it. I don't know um, exactly what page it's on, but, you know, he talks about how, you know, conspiracy theorists almost become a part of this ritual and how everyone is like a sleeping mason you know that's his terminology but a sleeping member of the cryptocracy to make it a little broader uh and he he talks about how we've all been initiated and we're just sort of sleep sleepwalking into these archetypes that are set for us and and yeah that's exactly what i was thinking when i described the james shelby downward vortex that's the same thing right like how it pulls you in, like you know, I love that the sleeping, uh, sleeping mason, like it awakens something. Like you can't go through this type of research without it awaking something in, in you. And what he was saying is, like you know, it'll make you sleepwalk through it, or you know, I think my point has always been, or if it doesn't, it will bring you through to uh, the other side with, with with through the initiation and awareness that can only come. From having that experience, like it's literally, um, 
I, I had a conversation with someone just the other day. They were asking me about, about my thoughts on, on ayahuasca. And, and all I talk about is the ceremony and how much it, it just feels like to me every time I'm in that space that it's a carnival, that it's the most, like, it's the strangest carnival um, in the world. And it, I think it's the same thing which, which the, it, it, energetically and, and archetypically, it's the same thing which, which Hoffman is talking about or what you experience and like, you know, moving through this. And we're moving through the carnival, but when we come out the other side, we're, we, we, we're different. Assuming you come out the other side and you just don't keep on sleepwalking. So I'll give you an example of sleepwalking. Like, I'm not saying this about your friend Alex Stein, but like, if you become, this would be to the furthest extreme, like if you become like, you know, what Stephen Colbert did was like a one at once upon a time you were edgy and you're like pointing out the, the, the cryptocracy and the next thing you know, you're rewarded by it. Well then that kind of sleepwalking thriller. Right. You know, that the extreme is like, you know, you're getting like rich and famous from it, but if one way or the other, if you have an identification of being this like kind of conspiracy person, you see yourself as that, well, then that's how you get stuck in that vortex. Right. And this, this is, in my opinion, the most important thing I've read Michael Hoffman, write, And it speaks exactly, hopefully to that point you just made. And if you'll allow me, I'll read it. Uh, Please. Twilight language is a form of communication that eludes most people's conscious perception, though it is of course perceived by the subconscious. In the 21st century, that dichotomy is much less the case because the initiation of the masses into the civic magic that increasingly appears undisguised has brought the revelation of twilight language to the frontiers of the waking mind. A yarn is being spun in charmed conjunctions, and interstices are formed partly from invocation and partly from surfing, a magnetic attraction that seems to organize anomalies around certain words of power and potent symbols that there are incredulity, incredulity in the face of this is the least surprising dimension of the phenomena. The two extremes which distort our perception are total denial of twilight language on the one hand and a total immersion in trivial aspects of a case that ends up muddying the key elements of pattern detection. There are researchers who pick a grab bag of symbol books videos and name references and throw them into a cauldron that they call twilight language and what comes of it question mark a laundry list of increasingly tedious trivial trivial or contrived links of words without enlightened pattern detection such as a, an approach is part of the obfuscation and not the clarification we ourselves can generate the phenomena we can begin to see coincidences everywhere there has to be a selection so we remain mindful of how our perception itself becomes part of the process of invocation. And that's where I'll stop. But there is a little bit more that he follows up with if you're curious. Uh, yeah, keep reading, please. So then the interviewer asks, what do you mean by trivial aspects and selection? Hoffman says, deciding what is important and what is effluvia what qualifies as twilight language but is actually a kind of arcane litter, sometimes placed in the field of vision to distract and sometimes invoked by the percipient investigator himself because he can't detect the pattern. He can't grok what is uh, insubstantial. 
what is a false lead, even if it does reflect occult dimensions, as in any language one encounters, gibberish and some sleuths are misled into believing it has significance. We should be keenly aware that not everything in symbolic stream is of profound remarkability, discerning the difference between the actual communication being conveyed by twilight language between that and signal noise is the difference between a higher state of consciousness and a form of debilitation that can mimic the classic symptoms of mental illness. So this, I mean, it sounds a little bit of a condescending thing, but I mean, considering how seminal his work was with that initial book in 2001, I can appreciate why he would say that. He's probably seen plenty of people take his work and you know, added and we, we've discussed that in, in our previous conversations about him. But, uh, but yeah, that's, so it's kind so of like that, the clarification that it makes a lot of sense to me. There's, there's a lot I would, I would uh, comment on that. That was, that was fascinating. Um, so, so one, like, so, so Hoffman, I know at least from his earlier books, he, he is very clear as to his religious leanings, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Right, and and um, and so, like everything what she was saying, what she said, like I would say is, um, I would say is a uh, like it's 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 a fair observation and probably solid advice. But it's also <laughs> it's also coming from uh, you got to put into context the perspective in which it's coming from, and it's coming from someone who has found well. I mean, I'm I, I I'm going to do my best and realize like I or I realize that what I'm doing is I'm taking a little bit of information. I'm making a lot of assumptions. So I'm not going to say like this is who Michael Hoffman is, but I'm just trying to paint a picture. Um, the fact that he is so strongly related to, um, so strongly related to, uh, um, that particular, um, what's up brother? How are you? Okay. Sir. A package one. How was your weekend? <laughs> Just another minute. I'll tell you this is why I'll be happy. It's a real time wild. We're with you. Yeah. <laughs> How was that? That, was that uplifting? Beautiful.
How was that received? He was asleep. Oh, I see. Right, right, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Who were in the prayer circle felt the women fell to the ground? Wow. The, that's what the women felt? Wow. Wow. I would imagine, I would imagine like when you, when you receive feedback like that, like what, what you do with intention and then you see it come right back and, and there's a, there's a tangibility to it. That's beautiful. Wow. I would be curious to hear how, you know, if there's any more interaction, but if you, if, if the paths cross again, all right. Thank you. Yeah. Nice to speak to you as well. Enjoy your trip or your travel, <laughs> your delivery. All right, brother. Only two more. All right. Um, uh, are that, you still with me? Yeah, was that Roger? Could you... Um, I just heard of horses, so now I'm maybe not... Now I'm thinking it wasn't Roger. Who was that? So that was... Did, did I tell you the story about the mail carrier and the evangelist? You did. You told me uh, after I watched that video of the bird, uh, we talked... I think we even talked about it on... on uh, a I show. Think we did too. Yeah. So it was that guy. Okay. So that's our third interaction. <laughs> Probably like 25 years old, and he is a Southern Lancaster uh, evangelist. And so I was about to talk about Michael Hoffman, and I want to say Michael Hoffman is a Catholic, correct? Well, yeah, he's a Catholic reformer. He's definitely he's a Catholic reformer. Yeah. So I just want to go. I just all I'm doing is I'm just painting like different things. So we we're just talking about that, and then so this guy. I was rolling up and he would be um, like some sort of evangelical Christian. And he, and young guy. And I like him. And he's, he's, he's a mail carrier. He's literally a rural mail carrier. And he was like, I, I worked six days a week, but one day a week, which I get off, was yesterday. And he told me he went and did something. Then he went uh, and did this prayer circle. And he starts praying for or this lady's son who has schizophrenia. Wow. Like, this is literally what he just telling me. So like, like put in the timing of our conversation, <laughs> right? Wow. Like, that's why I brought up, like I was talking about Michael Hoffman from his religious perspective. Right. And then another religious perspective literally rolls up 
And then he's telling me, he's like, yeah, we were all like in this prayer circle around this lady because her son was sleeping in the room next door. He's 39 years old and he's like really struggling with schizophrenia and stuff like that. And then um, they're praying and then like two women in the prayer circle, like they faint in the middle of the prayer. And they're saying because they could feel so strong the energy from um, from the, the the man they're preying on. And then he said, like, I, I don't know, he's like, it's very heart-wrenching and, and all this sort of stuff. Like, regardless of whatever, like, you know, whether whether there are demons in the in the schizophrenic or, or what have you, this friggin' time in this, like, what of that happening? Like, at the conversation, <laughs> it's just friggin' nuts. And then literally about like, schizophrenia. Like, that's what we talked about specifically with the James Shelby Downer and stuff. Like, you know, yeah, man. I mean, and not to mention uh, Michael Hoffman. I don't know if you're aware, but he spent a lot of time uh, amongst the old order of the Wengir Mennonites and the Amish in uh, Ohio. And he would drive I a, a. I did not know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that he, he drove a buggy, a horse drawn buggy. He writes about it in Twilight Language. Uh, I, there's. There's like a strange, there's a very strange sort of um, uh, weird parallel and reflection, I think, between like me and Hoffman. Or like I see like these small things. Like I'm not saying I'm Hoffman or he's me, but I'm like, okay, now we got this Amish thing. And we got like, you know, we're, we're, how influential he was with my thought and like uh, the St. Petersburg thing. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's Right, right. I don't, I don't <laughs> go too deep down into like what that is. I'm just saying like I see it. No, and then, yeah, that coached with what we just earlier, the point we made, you know, directly from the book, which, yeah, has a highbrow uh, flair to it for sure. I mean, he he has to uh, defend himself to some degree. I mean, when you read what uh, people have said about him, you know, but when when it comes to his religious views, I just don't want to not say this before we leave the topic. Um, Although that sort of perspective usually would turn me off i think the fact that he's written the largest book he's written as far as i'm aware is all about the catholic church and exposing like you know why they've been uh uh, you know infiltrated and all these other little historical notes about it i think you know that gives him a little bit more credit i mean he's not i would i agree completely and i and i want to be clear also like I don't. I know a lot of people who are Catholics who like never question the Catholic Church, but I also know them well as human beings. I know that they're pure in their heart. Right, right. I mean, so that's like, my grandparents to a T. So, so, so I just want to be aware. Like when I talk about religion and like people who are religious, there is at, like I mean, I just look at each person individually. Like there's nothing that all everything in the system right now is is inversion. We live in the inverted world. Of course it is. Um, but that doesn't mean everyone who follows or religion or practices it or takes it uh, is necessarily inverted with it. And I certainly don't, well, I, you know what? I still don't know. Like there's a part of me which doesn't believe that, but then there's part of me which is like, I, I'm still like confused by whether or not Hoffman and Robert A. Todd Wilson, like we're working together to create the whole thing, whole Shelby Downard. Um, I don't know that. I'm just saying I'm open to that being a possibility. I think it's all funny. Mm. Yeah, I mean, geez. 
Like that was like that whole episode which we did. Yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, I mean that considering what you just happened where your the phone was interrupted by this guy. I mean, I don't know if that made it into the recording or not because I was thumbing through the book while you were talking, but uh but yeah, this evangelist character shows up in the middle of this conversation right when you're about to make a point about Michael Hoffman's uh, religious point of view. I mean, it's, yeah, it's stupendous. Why? <laughs> we talked about literally, like, like even if he just, like, talk, like he, he, we talked for a minute and he drove away, I'm like, wow, that was kind of cool and weird, strange. But then he's like, oh, yeah, we did a prayer circle yesterday. And, like, then you just schizophrenic, one of those demon conspiracy theories. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, it's just, uh, the whole thing is, um, uh, I'll tell you, can I tell you one, one last story? And then I think we should probably wrap up. I need to probably go get something to eat tonight. Yeah. Um, so I was supposed to go to, I was supposed to go to Austin, Texas this past weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been talking about that for a while. And, um, when I was driving down, I, it was a, a real early flight from a airport. 90 minutes away and I was leaving I don't know, like 3.30 in the morning or something and uh, like right when I get get um, start driving decided to check and sure enough like one of the, uh, it wasn't a direct flight but it was a connection and the second flight had been cancelled I was like well I guess I'm not going to go down to Austin you still there Mark? Yeah okay just make it turn so okay so so um, I don't go to Austin and it was kind of interesting because I talked a lot about like not being able to go to Austin with Emily on our regular show the week before. So, and then it, it kind of materialized and I was in kind of a, like I was in a, a weird spot with it. Like um, it's easy for me to kind of like surrender to like how life goes, but I, um, I wanted to, um, I really wanted to go do the trip. I wanted to go see Emily. I wanted to go meet Laura. I wanted to go see all the people at the, at the higher, at the higher side meetup, all that sort of stuff. So I was, I was kind of disappointed. And this weekend at Nome Countryside, there was this, um, there was the, the 44th annual games day. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. And so it's like a collection of, 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 I mean, a lot of people that come in, like they, like they came as children and they were brought their children. And I mean, it was kind of a thing. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, like it's not my thing. <laughs> right. Like there's certain things which I love about being here. And I love when all of the, the, the field trips come through and I like the Airbnb and all of the different people coming through. But I, I very much like to stay on the side. You know, I don't need to be, um, necessarily part of it and um this was like it was it was a little bit more inclusive like i didn't want to come across as not not participating um in it so i I came down i participated for a little bit and come down there and um i see hold on a second we got did you just make a loop all right (laughs) <laughs> all right we missed that game day yesterday you feeling better all right well i'm glad to hear that 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to bring it down to him when I uh, when I go back down. All right, brother. I'm recording right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so where was I? So, so it was Game Day, and um, that was him again. There, no, that was that was someone else. Like, like I, if you could, just, like, it's so funny. I'm on on the the this intersection of the smallest road. It's, uh, the first picture I sent you, Mark, was where I was standing when I was talking to you. I walked down like a more a lesser travel road than what you see there. And there's just people coming by. One was the mailman. This was one of the, the, one of the sons. There oh. are three different properties or three different, uh, um, three different houses on the property. And so that was one of the sons and he was just driving around. Um, so anyway, so there was a, a friend of mine. So the friend of mine, Dale comes, to to known countryside probably like my age we've known each other for a while and we just start talking and i and, and our, our friendship has really gotten deeper uh over these past couple months and we we start comparing notes of what our life has been like living in lancaster over these past like 10 years and on a certain level, there wasn't any sort of, uh, like this shouldn't have been too, too much of a surprise, but as we got really into, um, as we got really into the, um, the details of our lives and the people who we kind of had life experiences with, it became oddly, oddly apparent that we're like having this parallel life. It's the same people and we're playing the same role. And like, sometimes like, like it would be someone's like, you know, a brother and a sister and they both were involved in the same way in each of our lives. And it was just like, what the hell are we like, you know, like we're, we're untying this huge friggin' knot of just like, we were calling it the Marietta vortex, but in a very, very real way, like trying to figure out like, how could there be this much interconnection and coincidence and like us, like having a clarity to it now in a way which we have before. So all that was going on. So the, uh, it's the 44th annual game set and I'm there. And the very first time I came to know countryside, uh, um, there was, there's a, a young lady was babysitting, babysitting. And so that young lady, this was probably 10 years ago. Um, and she eventually married one of the sons that are the son of, uh, Nomad. and, um, when I first met her, she was, uh, she was here with these two young boys, which she was babysitting. And it was, it was the most tragic friggin' story. I'm going to tell the story real quick. So the two boys were, um, the, the two boys were, uh, both adopted from Russia, separate families, like some time ago. And they were adopted by this, this woman in Lancaster. And then that woman and her husband divorced. And so these two, these two adopted boys from Russia were, just being raised by this one lady. And then the lady dies in the car accident. And now you've got like these two boys and like, you know, they're, they're, they're adopted and they were like too young to, um, too young to, 
to, to be on their own. And there wasn't really like a strong family, you know, all the things that you can imagine about that sort of tragedy. And so, um, I remember meeting them. I remember meeting them, uh, um, like years, as I said, like the first time I had come to no countryside. And then what, uh, I then heard the story about, about how the car crashed and the mother died. This is years and years ago. And then what happened afterwards was I guess, you know, some of the, one of the boys began acting up. It was like probably like 13 or 14 and, uh, and just really having some struggles. And like in the middle of the night, like the hit, I'm trying to think about how much detail I want to go with it because it's a good story, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be gossipy, but, um, he was, he was taken in the middle of the night outside of his bedroom and he was, uh, thrown in the back of the car and flown across the country and had like a, like a 200 day, uh, wilderness training, uh, scared straight sort of experience. <laughs> what? Right. Yeah, exactly. And so it was, it was because like, you know, the, the his caretakers after his parents, uh, or after his mother died, like just didn't know how to handle this kid. And this kid's like, you know, going through some real heavy stuff and like that's what happened to him. So anyway, um, I'm sitting at this place yesterday. I'm not too excited to be there, but I'm kind of excited, but you know, I'm, I'm not in the, I, I'm still harboring a little bit of like, oh, shucks. I was out in Austin and here I am like here at this, this place. And these two, these two, uh, these two young men show up and I'm sitting with, with, with the woman who, uh, who it turns out, who is the, the, the woman who married, who married one of the sons I was making reference to earlier. And it turns out that these are those two boys. And now they're like young men, like I think maybe like 21 and 23, like that age. And one of them probably could have been, um, you could, uh, Alex may have interviewed him. Uh, <laughs> if he wasn't at no countryside, he could have easily been, uh, at Times Square. And, uh, and then there was the other one, this other boy, but they both look, um, it was fascinating for me to go and, and like see this like full circle. And I remember hearing these stories, like I was talking to him for like maybe about 20 minutes before I realized like who and what they were. And there was like this kind of aha moment. But the point I want to go and say with all of it, and what's so friggin' strange about it is, um, uh, my ex-wife moved into their next, the house, which they, the house next door to where they lived when they were living with their mother. <laughs> of all the places. Yeah. And so, and, and I mean, and I, I, I'm not implying anything about what I'm going to say. I'm just going to point out this, just this kind of subtlety, but, or just this thing. But I was like, these boys look just like my fucking son. Like not necessarily like the overtop flamboyant, but in terms of like coloring and body type and, and their, their proximity and age to one another. Hmm. And I was like, what the F even is this? <laughs> wow. So that was kind of like, you know, like, look, because I was coming at it with this, like, what is this, this, this knot, which me and Dale on, untying right. about this interconnection between all of this stuff in Lancaster. Right. Uh, and, and, and then, and then to go and see it on this level as well. So that kind of fits into then everything, which, you, you know, I, I brought it up and because of those comments from, from, um, 
from Hoffman is like, you know, what is, what is significant? What is not significant? Like, I don't know. I'm not saying that any of this has meaning, but when you begin to see the undeniable interconnection and not to be kind of, um, uh, overwhelmed by it or need to define it or anything like that. I think that is a big part of going through, through going through that vortex is you become more and more and more aware, which I think will eventually bring deeper and deeper and deeper connections to it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I think that's a great way to, uh, to come full circle with this episode. All right. That's what was good. that? Like, well, I'm sorry. What was that image you sent me, though? What was that device that they were carting with a horse or some sort of animal there? Oh, I don't know. devices. <laughs> I literally. This is the funniest thing I've seen. I've seen like uh, uh, I saw an uh, I saw there's an Amish guy who was being grabbed like a um, a plow. Uh, Attached to workhorses, and it was pulling lawnmowers, <laughs> lawnmowers like gas-powered lawnmowers. Like I mean, a lot of stuff. Like I don't know. Like, <laughs> so I just thought that was a funny picture. That's why I sent it to you. <laughs> a gas-powered lawnmower being pulled by a, a, a exactly like it just doesn't make sense. It's the craziest thing. And so this, this is what this was. This is the final thing which me and Dale was saying. Like, um, well, we were like. Like, I've always known they were witches, but they're really fucking witches. Like, we were recognizing, like, like, and we're talking about the Amish particularly, like, 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 how, like, it, how real is this witchcraft, which, which we go, which we see it all around us. But that's, a, that's for, I'll go to detail of that for another time. Yeah, the powwows. <laughs> right on. All right, Mike. Well, great right, conversation as usual. Yeah, absolutely. And I will talk to you next week. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Peace. <laughs>